0: Good morning church, my name is Rachel Randolph and I've been at Christ Central for seven years and um, this is home. So I invite you this morning to be at home and to open up your heart to God's word. This is Mark chapter three. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonajaz, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, "He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons." And he called to them, he called them to him, and said to them in parables, "How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself, For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mothers and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God He is my brother and sister and mother. Amen.
1: Good morning, Christ Central Church. Happy Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. Let's start one more time. He is risen. What a joy it is to be able to be in the house of the Lord on this Resurrection Sunday. As Pastor Derek talked about last, I was talking to him this morning And last year, we weren't even able to gather like this to be with our family on this glorious Sunday morning to remember not only our Savior's sacrifice but his victory over death. I would love to start this morning by reading a creed by Pastor John Chrysostom. He was called the Prince of Preachers. He had his way with words, was gifted in that way, he was an early church father in Constantinople in A.D. 400. And this is what he wrote, and i love for you to follow along. I believe it is up here. I'd love to read this for you as we think about what this day means for those who follow Christ. It says, Let us all enter into the joy of the Lord. Let us all enter into the joy of the Lord, he says. First and the last alike receive your reward, Rich and poor rejoice together, sober and slothful celebrate the day. You that have kept the fast and you that have not, rejoice today, for the table is richly laden. Feast royally on it, and calf is the fatted one. Let no one go away hungry. Partake all of the cup of faith. Enjoy all the riches of his goodness. He, our Savior, destroyed hell. He put it into an uproar even as he tasted of his flesh. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? Christ is risen. You could say amen, church. Christ is risen. And you, O oh death, Are annihilated. Christ is risen, and the evil ones are cast down. Christ is risen, and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen, and life is liberated. Christ is risen, and the tomb is empty of its dead. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Church, our Savior is risen today. He is risen. And this morning we celebrate what that means for us. What a joy it is for me to be with you. My name is Josh Kim. I'm assistant pastor here at Christ Center Church. We're glad you could join us. And we dearly miss many of you who are not able to be here with you, with us, but we're glad that we could worship like this this morning. Because something about this Resurrection Sunday, something about this Resurrection Sunday brings hope. Something about this Resurrection Sunday that reminds us that the better days are ahead. Something about this Resurrection Sunday tells us that it is okay, or perhaps only on this day and on this day, Savior, that you could put all your eggs in this one basket. And oh man, I saw many baskets filled last week during our beautifully organized COVID safe egg hunt put together by our amazing children's director, Erin McFadden, and her team. And we can all put our eggs in the hope of Easter on Resurrection Sunday because the empty tomb really happened. It is not only written in the scriptures that you and I read about today, but it is also an eyewitness account. Many, many have seen the risen Lord, not only to live to tell about it, but even gave up their life to tell us about it. That's what makes this Easter, the Resurrection Sunday, our hope of our lifetime. They had a story to tell. They had a story of our risen Lord to tell and the question I want to ask you is when's the last time that you had a story to tell someone when's the last time you were so excited to summon to tell someone about an experience of meeting someone or an experience that has happened to you I grew up a huge UNC Tar Heels basketball fan I used to love Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson era especially. For someone who has an inch vertical, someone who loves to think that he could dunk but could never even come to the net, to see these high-flying players during their heyday made me dream like I could be like them one day. So that day when I saw Antoine Jameson eating salad at Chopped, I realized, wow, this is my moment, that I could actually take a picture with someone that I only dreamed about. Mind you, I was meeting one of my church members at the time. I had no idea what the member was telling me, although I remember tears that were falling into the salad bowl that we were sharing. But, as I was starstruck the whole time, I mustered up all my courage, and I, tell you, I told my member, stop telling me your story, let me tell you what's happening. Can you give me some encouragement as I go up to this man to say, hey, can I take a picture with you? I muster up all my, all my courage to go up and apologize proficiently saying, I'm so sorry to invade your private space, but I would love to take a picture with you. And this man stood up, and I felt like a small child next to him, and I was so excited. But more so than that, man, you could tell how many sermon illustrations I came up with that. But not only so, I was dying to talk people about it. Not the meeting with my member, but meeting Antoine Jameson for 10 seconds of my life, right? I went to my wife and said, hey, guess who I met? Antoine Jameson. And she said, who? <laughs> Antoine Jameson. Who? You don't know this man? Man, you are seriously mistaken. Uh, in need, you are seriously in need to be educated in this person's life. We tell this a testimony, something that you experienced, something that you're so excited about. You're overflowing with the joy. I witnessed account to say, you had to be there. Let me tell you about this story. Let me tell you about this experience. I got a story to tell. So far in the Gospel Mark, we have been talking a lot about who this Christ the King is and what He's calling you and I to do, which is to follow Him and to see what this discipleship is all about. And on this Easter Sunday morning, on this Resurrection Sunday morning, what we're going to look at is what these followers are doing as a result of meeting with this Savior, the King. You see, the followers of Christ had a story to tell. They have an eyewitness account of the king, the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. The one who not only walked on this earth, but who died and who rose again. And they got a story to tell this morning. And consequently, we also have a story to tell, don't we not? And what is this story all about? The first thing that we see is it's a story about meeting the king. This story is about stories of meeting the king. That's what we find in verse 7 of today's text. It says, Jesus withdrew his disciple uh, with his disciples to the sea, and the great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea to Jerusalem, Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. It says, "A great crowd heard all that he was doing, and they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he healed many so that all who had remember all who had diseases pressed around them to touch him, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, "You are, You are the Son of God." And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. You see, Jesus withdrawing from Pharisees and Herodians who are seeking to destroy him in verse six, and by the verse eight, we find that he is famous. His fame has spread, and Mark gives a concrete description of how well Christ was known at the time. Galilee and Judea represented Jerusalem in the center of Israel. Idumea represented the southern tip of Israel. Beyond Jordan represented the eastern borders. And Tyre and Sidon represented the northern tip. So if you're following with me, north, south, east, and you're wondering where is the west, it is the Mediterranean Sea. So his fame spread all around the region at the time. And a great crowd was following him. And the question is, why are they following him? Theologian B.B. Warfield makes this mark. The disease and death had almost been eliminated from this region in Capernaum. Imagine that. A story of disease and death had been eliminated from this small region of Capernaum. This little region in the globe, in the world at the moment in a time where it seems like any news of disease being eradicated will be a big news. Just imagine that in a global pandemic that we're living in with small reasons that there's no COVID at all in this area. New Zealand was in the news for their low numbers, but imagine completely being eradicated of any disease, not only COVID, but all kind of disease and cancer, all the sickness and death being eradicated for the time. No wonder great crowd was following, surrounding Christ at the time. Church, there's always going to be a spectacle, isn't it? Large crowd when there is amazing thing that is happening. There is a large crowd on Christ whenever he went. And especially on Sunday morning like this, and the Easter resurrection Sunday morning, there is always a large crowd that gathers. After all, Christianity is the only religion that proclaims not only our Savior, our God, can heal the sick, but He could even overcome death itself. No wonder there are large crowds that gathers at the empty tomb on the Resurrection Sunday this morning. But what we must remember, church, this morning, is that despite the large crowd, the true followers of this king got a story to tell. It's not that your story is being in the crowd with the large groups of people. Your story is about personally meeting this king. This crowd that gathers around them, but those who touch, speak, I've spoken to you. The sick and the hurt got their personal stories to tell. The disciples that are mentioned in this story, they have the story to tell. And they write the scriptures as a result of it. In the Easter morning at the empty tomb, we see the woman have the story to tell. And they go and tell other people about the personal encounter with meeting this God of the universe, resurrect this Savior. You know, that's what the Bible is all about. The stories of meeting our king. Gospel of Mark is Peter's account of meeting the king. John's story, the gospel according to John. Matthew's story, Paul's story. All unique in their own way. Sick and hurt have their own story to tell. I was a man who couldn't walk. I was a woman who kept bleeding. I was a demon possessed and chained outside the gate. I was a tax collector. Jesus called me. Jesus called me. Jesus came to me. I was fishing and Jesus called to me. Crazy thing, even demons who encounters the Savior who are in opposition against the King have their own testimony. You are the son of God. You are the son of God. Our Lord and Savior is ever so personal, church. He knows us each by our name. He knows who are in his family. He knows his own children. He knows what you're going through this morning. He knows the pain and the suffering in your heart. He knows the deepest, darkest places in your life that you dare not share with others. He knows your family, your background, all the history upon history. And despite the large crowd, our God is ever so personal God. I, remember, uh, I was reminded of this last week as we were singing a beautiful song led by our, our wonderful praise team, uh, Waymaker. And as we're singing this song, as I was getting ready to come up here, not only was I having uh, struggles with Mike, but then as I was getting ready to come up and speak, at that moment, for some reason, I had this heavy burden on my heart. At that moment, for some reason, some ways, I was overwhelmed with many of our church members, many of your stories, many of you who are hurting, many of you who are going through a lot of things in your heart, Whether it's through your own personal family struggle, with your marriage, perhaps with your children, children having problems with your parents, struggles in our jobs, struggles in our own church, in our own hearts, in our own sin, addiction in our nation today, and honestly, guys, I was so overwhelmed. I was so overwhelmed, I felt this heaviness and burden, and I was crying out to the Lord saying, God, what do I have to say this morning? What can I say from the pulpit to comfort your people? And as we were singing, as the praise team was reminding us of who God was, you know, I was reminded that God's got this. He's got you. He's got every single one of you in His hands. It's not a preacher preaching Sunday morning. It's not a praise team or the songs that we sing. It's not about the programs and the things that we may do. But it is God who's got you. He's going to meet with you in His own unique, awesome way. God created beautifully, made you in His image. And he will fulfill his will in your lifetime, regardless of my failure as a pastor, your failure, not even failure of church or even organization. God will fulfill his will ultimately. And that is the promise of the empty tomb. Oh, church, oh, you fellow image bearers, Do you know that you have this personal God as your Savior this morning? It is not a spectacle we're here to watch this morning. It is your personal story of meeting this Savior who rose again. This is a story that is your own. God whose eyes are ever fixed upon you. God who loves you, who loves you, and who loves you. And you know what happens to those who meet their king like this? A savior like this, a redeemer like this? So ironic, but the demons do the best job in this text, don't they not? They're the one they cry out, "You are the Son of God," and they testify. They got a story to tell. They were so overwhelmed by His presence. The liars, the demons cannot help but to speak the truth. This is the story of those who met our King. Do you have your empty tomb story this morning? Is this your God whom we have gathered to worship on this resurrection Sunday? And if you have come here because it is Easter Sunday morning, you're dragged here by your loving parents, I pray, Our God who stops to speak will speak to your heart and call you to His own so this Savior will meet you and have this personal relationship with you. Church, we got a story to tell, don't we? A story of meeting our King. But our story does not end there. Our story continues on to tell the stories of not only meeting with our king, but stories of suffering with our king. After Jesus calls his disciples in the following passage, we see him encountering another opposition in verse 22. It says, The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, By the prince of demons he casts out demons. They're calling him demon. And he called them to him and said to them in parable, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. What a logical logical argument. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of men, and whoever blasphemes they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. Never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. Again, talking about not trusting in Christ as the sin of rejection. But they were saying he has an unclean spirit. You see, upon calling the disciple, Jesus faces another accusation. He was accused of breaking the Sabbath law before... But now the accusation takes another turn as a scribe, she came down from the Jerusalem, the scribe, the Jewish leaders at the time, and said, you, what you're speaking is a lie, and you are of the demon. You are the opposition of what God is trying to do, right? And here to this, Jesus responds by saying, the kingdom that is divided against love cannot stand. Why would you score your own goal to win the game? He's basically saying, think about it, guys. Think about it. Does that make sense when you see demons crying out that I am the son, of the son of the Lord, Son of God? But what does this show? What does this story show us? What this story shows us, church, is that followers of Christ, if you are a true followers of Christ, and let me make this absolutely clear for all of us, I'm not trying to dampen our celebration this morning, but remember the Resurrection Sunday comes after Good Friday. Resurrection Sunday is the highlight, the pinnacle of the Passion Week, which means suffering week. That means if you are following Christ, hearing every word of Christ means not only will you experience the power of resurrection, but he says, if you're following me, take your own cross. It's not a glamorized cross that you and I often think of. The cross is the way of suffering. We think about these 12 disciples and amazing things they have done. We have the Bible that is about his, their stories, their amazing stories, the power of their miracles are written here by the power of the Lord. But we forget the suffering and the life they, were, they gave to tell this story to us. In verse 13 and on, they tell of the 12 disciples by their name. I'm not going to read that because I think you're all familiar with that, and please read through that, the point of 12, and we'll learn more about them coming. But if you look at the church history, their stories are told through the life of suffering. According to Eusebius, the church historian, Peter, the apostle Peter, who was to watch his wife's crucifixion and then follow that himself by being crucified upside down. Because he said, I'm unworthy to die like our Savior. Andrew, Peter's brother, under the orders of governor of Achaia, was apparently crucified on an X-shaped cross, exhorting the people to trust in Christ as he died. James, whose death is recorded in the Acts chapter 12, under the order of Herod Agrippa the, the I. Philip, the missionary to Heli, uh, Helipolis, and the first to be martyred after James. Matthew, the writer of the Gospel Matthew, the text collector, tradition says he was burned at the stake. Thomas, doubting Thomas, tradition says he was thrust through with a spear. Simon the zealot, tradition says he was killed. Judas, the son of James, sometimes called Thaddeus, which actually means mama's boy. And about whom we know very little except that he was, in fact, the mama's boy. But tradition says he was clubbed to death. Apart from Judas, who was taken his own life by the guilt and the betrayal, as far as we know, two of the apostles lived into the old age, Apostle John, of course, being one of them, writing the book of Revelation in the island. Church, this is a testimony of the apostles. The Bible you hold on to, the Bible we read and meditate, that sometimes we say we are inspired by, is not only given to us by the stories of victory, stories of triumph, but oftentimes stories of suffering. It is preserved and testified to you through the life of suffering. Notice what the disciples say in the book of Acts. They say whether they were suffering, persecuted. They say this. Then he went home and the, um, where am I Again, I'm sorry. I just lost my space for a second. No, they were saying uh, disciples, notice what they say. They were saying that to follow Christ is not only to live for the sake of Christ but to suffer for him. To suffer with him. And notice the testimony of the apostles here. And this suffering not only comes from the outside church. Sometimes the suffering, the text, comes from your own family, your own people. That's what we read in verse 20, 20, right? Then we went home and the large crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Did you catch that? His family, his own family told Christ, that he is out of his mind. In the parallel account in John 7, 4, it clarifies what this means. John adds that his own family did not believe him. And what's more shocking is how Mark connects this two together. Of the words of the scribes who are persecuting him, outright persecuting him in verse 30, and the verse 21 of the family members who are not believing him. For they both begin with saying, for they were saying, in verse 21, for they were saying he is out of his mind. In verse 30, the scribes were saying, for they were saying he is unclean spirit. In both cases, you see church, we see both groups of people that are in opposition to Christ's ministry. Being persecuted for the sake of the gospel and for the followers of Christ, that will be part of your testimony for your story to tell. I think so often, so often, you and I have bought into the comfort-oriented theology. You and I, we love to bash on the prosperity gospel that says health, wealth, prosperity. We say we absolutely detest and hate that theology, but in many ways we turn around and we live like it. We embrace it. Often say we love following Christ, but we often hate taking our own cross to follow him. But notice what the cross says this morning. Jesus' story has to include the cross. We are not celebrating resurrection of Christ if there is no Good Friday. We are not celebrating power of Christ if there is no death that overcame our sin once and for all. It is expected, expected church. When you follow Christ, there is suffering. There is going to be suffering. Why? Because if Jesus is walking on earth today, you'll be too liberal and you'll be too conservative. He'll be too liberal for the conservatives. He'll be way too conservative for the liberals. In another word, he may be too Republican for the Democrats, and you will be too Democrat, Democratic for Republicans. He'll be too radical, secular, worldly, dangerously touting the lineup for some. He'll be hanging out with the addicts, the politicians, the LGBTQ community, but he'll also be at the seminaries, churches. He'll be at the rallies, the marches, He will also be at the conferences and councils. He will be earth-shaking, norm-breaking, flipping-table, radical, yet kind, loving, cross-bearing figure that will throw your life upside down. He'll be calling our sin of racism, sexism, misogyny type of figures. And He will also bring our attention to the beauty of the cross and speak tenderly to the hurting. He'll be holding the sovereignty of God in one hand, His created divine design, and speak authoritatively, calling people to life of surrender, This person who holds all this intention won't be an easy person to follow. And still, not an easy person to follow. The narrow is the way that he calls us to go. I shared about my time in India last week, and one of the most heartbreaking as well as challenging moments was one of the evening services that we had where we had the regional people, the pastors gather. And again, it was delayed by a couple hours, and we got there. And again, during the testimony time, many came forth with bruises on their bodies. And time and time again, they got up and said, I was beaten up on my way home the other day by the extremists. I was beaten up and thrown out of my house by so-and-so. While my family... Try to take me to Hindu temple to cast out the demons out of me. My family disowned me, and now I'm on my own. The local authorities, I threatened to close down this place. Time and time again, with boldness, tears, with bruises on their body, they came forth, testifying, testifying testifying, and saying, I am doing this because this is what Christ has called me to do. I am suffering because this is the way of the cross. And you know what was so amazing for me, church? Was not the grand stories that these guys were telling. It was not the fact that, wow, this is happening in this part of the world. What was so rebuking for me was that this was a regular normal part of their service this was a normal life of followers of christ this was a normal section in their sunday worship service that they had suffering was not something to be surprised by it was expected for the followers of christ but this is not only limited to church in india Just ask our missionaries in our church of the stories that they would have. Or have a conversation with our very own Phil and Lori Prince who consistently reminds us of the persecuted church and prays for them diligently. According to Open Door USA, every day, every day, there are 11 Christians who are martyred for their faith. But look no further also than the history of black Church. As theologian Karen Ellis aptly put, suffering for race and for religion beliefs are understandably conflated in the history, historical telling of African-American church. Two ontological realities were exalted at the same time, a time with different approaches, solutions, and outcome. The stories of persecution and suffering is in the very fabric and the life of testifying the global, all-inclusive, multi-dimensional, multi-ethnic, revelation-pictured church that testify to the empty tomb. Brothers and sisters, do you recall the words of disciples in Acts chapter 5? They weren't just suffering for the sake of suffering. Notice what they say in verse 41. The apostles Left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of the suffering disgrace for the name. Did you catch that? Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy. We just saying worthy is the name. Worthy is the name. worthy. Worthy is the Lord. We just sang that with our hands lifted high. Do you know what that meant? According to Acts chapter five, verse forty-one, that means you get to suffer for the sake of Christ. Day after day, in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stop teaching, proclaiming the good news. They got a story to tell of Jesus as the Messiah. Please know that I'm not advocating suffering for you. I'm just telling you that it's coming. And a lot of times, it is already here. I'm denouncing the false theology of masochism. Don't go out and look for it. But there are and will be opposition to God's work. Not only externally, but internally in your hearts, also due to the fact of sin and the work of the devil. Church, don't falsely think that as we get closer to Christ, it'll be easy. It's got to be more difficult, is it not? If it's becoming so easy for you to follow Christ, what kind of God are you following? Because the God of Scripture is not that easy to follow. More and more, as you get closer to the heart of Christ, your heart will be exposed more. More and more, you want to be like Christ, that means you've got to give up more of your selfish desires. More and more, as you want to be like Christ, it says you've got to consider yourself lower than anybody else. The more and more you want to say, I want to follow after Christ, that means you've got to take your cross, not only out there in the world, but in your own family, in your own relationship with your families. We're called to take the cross to die to ourselves. Men of the church, the the Bible, the scripture commands us to die to ourselves so our wives will live and glorify the Lord. So our children will be raised in the ways of the Lord. That's the picture of what it means to follow Christ. It's not the easy way. It will include suffering of dying to yourself so the glory of the Lord will be displayed in your family. I know many of us are here hurting. Many of us are here with lots of testimonies. Perhaps it comes from your own family, especially this past season. Whew, hard stories we have. At times, standing up for your faith against the backlash from work, friends, and against family again. Perhaps even within the church. Perhaps even from the mistakes of our own denomination. Brothers and sisters who are supposed to make room by pushing you out, calling you names instead of inviting you in. Church, we see it. God sees it. But most importantly, we hear your stories. God hears your stories. The testimonies in them. We groan and we wrestle with you. We cry out to the Lord with you. This is a collective story. But again, remember, church, Is not suffering for the king, suffering with the king. He marked the path for us. He says he's ever with you in all this. According to Hebrew writer, we have a high priest. Not only who is able to sympathize with us, but who has walked through and experienced all the temptations as well. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, he will be with us even through our most difficult trials and temptations. And that's the hope of the empty tomb, the gospel. That it's not the absence of suffering. It's the presence of the Savior in your suffering. It's not the absence of the suffering, but the fact that he has suffered and died and rose again now becomes your empowerment, your hope to stand, persevere in your suffering. Notice Paul's words again in Romans chapter 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through Holy Spirit who has been given to, you, given to us. That's why we need this. That's why you and I need to raise our hands and say, Worthy is the Lamb. And speak to one another. Remind one another. Tell your story to one another. Tell your story to your children. Tell your story to your spouse. Tell your story to the watching world. You don't have to have this elaborate story, right? Notice what Paul does. Every time, if he threw it throughout the book of Acts and all throughout, he says, tell me the gospel. Oh, let me tell you about this story that happened to me. I was on my way to Damascus. I was going to persecute the Christians, and Jesus met me. Let me tell you about this story. I am weak, but he story. Let me tell you about this story. I pleaded with the Lord to take this away, but he said his grace is sufficient for me. Let me tell you about this story. God who considered himself less and came down and became one of us. Let me tell you this story. Well, I'm the greatest sinner, but Christ is the great Savior. Let me tell you this story. All I have, all I've gained is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. That's the story. Do we have that story to tell? Do we have the story of suffering with the king? That's the invitation this morning from the empty tomb. Final point is not only the stories of meeting with the king, suffering with the king, but we get to tell the story of living with the king. We get to tell the story of living with the king. Chapter 3 ends with a strange story. In the strange story, we find Jesus' mother and brothers coming and looking for him on the outside. And Jesus was surrounded by the crowd, so they were looking of him. However, it was told when Jesus said his mother and brothers were looking for him, he simply said, well, my mother and brothers are here. And they're like, what's going on, man? Like, right? right, they're outside. <laughs> like, what, what's going on? And Mark doesn't tell us whether he went to them or not. We could speculate. And he basically says, you are my mother, my brother, and sister. That's what we read in verse 31, right? And his mother and brother came, standing outside, they sent to him, called him, and the crowd was sitting around him. And he says, Here are my brother and brothers, in verse 34, for whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, sister, and my brother, sister, and mother. Notice how surprising this is. In contrast, along with those who reject Christ outright, Jesus' biological family stands outside, while those who gather about Jesus and does the will of God is sitting inside, living with Jesus. What Jesus does here is mark out who is in God's family and who is not. He's saying it's not enough for you and I to be in the crowd this morning. It is also not enough for you to be around the stories of Jesus this morning. I think especially in the south, and I noticed this when I first came to Charlotte. I went to Chipotle, and as I was about to order my food, I realized everybody was praying in that Chipotle for lunch hour. It's like, where am I? This is a, a strange place. And I realized. There's beauty about being in the Bible Belt because of that, but there's also a danger. Danger of tricking ourselves into thinking that I am living a life with the king when you're not. Because we do all the to-dos, we do all the church stuff, and we do, and we have grown up in all this, but perhaps you are not really living with the king. Rather, you're living in opposition to the king. That's why Jesus makes it absolutely clear. It's not about biological, it's not about all the to-dos and all that stuff. He says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, sister, mother. He's not saying you do that and you're in. That's not what he's saying. You are my family if you act like it because you are already a family. You can help but to do the will, not do that to be my family. Because you're in my family, you're doing the will of God the Father. One of the saddest truths of Christianity in America is often the absence of ongoing testimony. Stories of living with the king. You know, we could easily talk about, let me tell you about 20 years ago, at the youth camp, my youth pastor came and said, you know that if you die today, you're going to go to heaven. And I cried tears and accepted the Lord as my Savior We could tell the story of, man, I was in the gas station bathroom, hugging the toilet. In my addiction, I cry out to the Lord. And that was, wow, man, 20 years ago. But if we ask you to tell your story about meeting with the Lord, walking with the Lord, testifying to the Lord, suffering for the Lord, standing firm for the gospel for the Lord, today, yesterday, even a week ago, our stories run dry. We could easily point to the stories of meeting with the king. And dare I say, even it's easier for us to talk about suffering with the king because God speaks ever so loudly to us through suffering at times. But the question that you and I have to really wrestle is, do you have this ongoing testimony, stories of living with our king? Because the Easter story, the Resurrection Sunday story, must not only end at the empty tomb. It must not only end this morning celebrating, singing all the songs and going home, but it must go forth from here, from the empty tomb, into our families, into our children's lives, into our school, into our cubicles, into 28205, into our divided nation, into our daily lives each and every day. That's the testimony, the story we got to tell must continue on until the coming of Christ again. And the story begins again this morning at the empty tomb. Those who are called by him, those who are in his family, those who are loved by the acts on the cross, not only we experience the power of death on the cross, now as his family members, beloved children, experience power of his resurrection and live to testify about it every day of our lives. In every aspect of our lives to go to the nations, to the ends of the earth, to tell them about our great Lord and Savior who rose again from the dead and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit. That's the call of those who follow Christ. That's the gospel of Easter, the Resurrection Sunday. One of my favorite movies is Coco. I know lots of children watching, so this is when you get to look up, right? Talking about a movie that we love. And I love that movie, not only for just the the music aspect and all this stuff, but it also talks about this ancestral worship on the Day of the the Dead that's celebrated by uh, the nation of Mexico. Um, There's actually a great article written by Emmanuel Elizondo, uh, the editor of Gospel Coalition and Mexican theologian, that wrote about the complicated relationship that you have about the tradition of the remembering the dead and also what it means to be a Christian in the midst of it all. The reason why I love that movie also is not only because of the music and other aspect, but it also reminded me of my cultural background too. My cultural background includes ancestral worship. You can look it up as well, but well basically what happens is in the, in, the, in the holidays, you gather. It's not just holidays for the sake of holidays of resting, but there is a big holiday, normally uh the, the new year, lunar new year, or some big holiday where the families get together, and traditionally, what they do is they vow, they pay respect, they make this grand table of food made up mostly of the people, the ancestors that they went before you, they loved, and you pay the respect. And in some instances, honoring the dead. And you see, bowing down to them. Now, my family, who became a Christian in my, my father's generation, do not bow to the ancestors, because Christ, uh, the scripture is very clear about who do you bow to. But we also keep the tradition of remembering those who went before us. So what my father would do, rather than leading us in a vow at the traditional Korean family or a lot of other families would do, what we would normally do is we gather in a circle and my father would lead us in time of worship and talk about the legacy of faith passed down by my, great, uh, my grandma and grandpa. You know, there's something special about that time not only because of the food that I get to eat, not only the festivities, especially when I was back in Korea, you have like four days off. You're like, whoa, what in the world? No school, this is awesome. Days off from your work and school, but these gatherings, you know what was so awesome about this? It's family only. Your extended family travel to come. I read this amazing article this week written by Christian Crawford in uh, the Witness blog about the Resurrection Sunday for the black church in the rural Alabama. But the history has it the black families would travel to go to their rural Alabama churches where their home where their uh, great-grandparents are and worship together. And I was reminded of that too. It's family-only. Gathering of the family-only to remember, in this ancestral worship, remember the one that went before you. I don't know about you, but I think that's what we're doing this morning, right? We gather together as family. Christ says, those who are my family are the ones that do my will. Those that have a story to tell. Those who have met me, who suffer with me, is living And this savior calls you family. And you and I get to be included in that, and we gather like to to celebrate who he is. But there's a huge difference here between ancestral worship and what we're doing this morning. You see, ancestral worship, we remember someone who died, who stayed dead. But what we do this morning is not only celebrating the sacrifice of our savior, who died on the cross, but he is alive. He rose again from the dead, church. His empty tomb, that's our story. And what we get to celebrate is not someone who's dead, who's not coming back, but we get to celebrate and talk about the Lord and Savior, your God, who rose again. And you and I, as fellow heirs, to cry out, Abba, Father, and to celebrate, wow. This is an amazing story. This is my family's story. And you, as a family members of God, could go out now from this place to tell the world about it so they may join you and I to be included in this family, to live to testify of the coming Lord who's coming back. Church, that's the story that we gotta tell. Let's pray. Let's pray, shall we? On this Resurrection Sunday, let's pray that we'll have that story to tell, to tell of our King who died and rose again, to declare with the fellow saints who lived and who died to tell us about this story. Let's pray. I'll give you about 30 seconds to meditate upon that truth as we think about who He means for us. And I'll pray for us before we go into time of confession and Lord's Supper. Uh, We don't do this often, but since it is Resurrection Sunday, I want to give you about 30 seconds of silent meditation as you close your eyes As you remember His cross, and this Sunday morning, the empty tomb that was open. And as you look upon the gaze at the hills of Gargatha, where you should have been, where your bodies should have been laid limp, someone else was there. But the Savior that died on this Sunday morning rose and to live and promises that he'll come back. Meditate on that, will you? Meditate upon that truth.